Hello, and welcome to another episode of Crack Encrypteds and Curios. This is Matt, once again, joined by the milk chugger himself, Angel. Now, Angel, we are approaching your favorite time of the year, that of the fall season. You are a self-described pumpkin patcher, an aficionado of all things hayrides, corn mazes, and pumpkin carving. When you pumpkin patch, as you call it, you go all out. You dress up, you just get into the season like no one I know. It starts off innocently enough. You wear a plaid button-down shirt, some dress slacks, slick back your hair, groom the beard, get the real good smelling oils out and oil it down. You present yourself well, you could say. Then, each week you go into the corn maze. You come out a little bit more unhinged, we could say. As the weeks go by, you come out telling others about the clown that you saw in the maze and make a big deal to the employees about how you're super scary and that you're really digging that they're doing it much earlier each year. This, in effect, is you planting the seeds to what is to come. <clears throat> you claim the clown bit you at a later event, and each time you come out, you have a little bit more clown apparel on. To the point, in the final night of the corn maze, you are a fully dressed psycho clown who chases people in the maze. I must emphasize, you are not employed by the farm or anything. You, this is just a thing you do on your own. In essence, a one-man alternate reality game. How did you come up with such a horrifying idea? One thing you have to know about me is that every action I perform... I do it with the corn cobbler in mind. Mm -hmm. And therefore, this is my tribute to him. This is the avatar of corn cobbler? That's correct. <laughs> the psycho clown. <laughs> so what is your favorite part of the transformation over the season? So you come in as, you know, the a well-kept man, and then you just start, you know, devolving or evolving, however you want to look at that, on the clown hierarchy. Um, into a new being. Well, my favorite part is that I every year I I choose a different uh, pattern of makeup, so I'm never I never look like the same clown more, mm -hmm. uh, twice, and I usually model them after Carl Schuker's favorite clowns. Ooh, do you know any? There's the famous clown in from that opera Pagliaccio. <laughs> so, clown is one of your go-to creatures. But what are some of the others that you have done over the years? I've done werewolves. Ooh, how'd that go over? Um, I think I was told that it was too scary. And then, who are you? You don't work here. <laughs> We're calling the police. <laughs> um, I've done werewolf with clown makeup. <laughs> the old clown wolf. Um, yes. A rare sighting. Yes, that's just... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just recalling all the times the cops were called on me. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then, then you howled and ran away into the cornfield with Corn Cobbler's guidance, guiding you through the night. I mean, I'm still here, aren't I? <laughs> Praise be to Corn Cobbler. Where did your love of pumpkin patches come from? Was that at a young age? Well, yeah, it started when I had pumpkin and there were seeds left over and I just threw them on the ground and then they sprouted. 
and they took over the whole backyard. And I was like, that I didn't know they spread so much. And then they started climbing up the house, and I'm like, this is weird. And then I lost the house. I don't know what happened there. We had to move. We couldn't go back. <laughs> that meant like the house vanished. I mean, I don't know. It was just overgrown with a giant pumpkin patch. And, but my parents didn't really give me much detail as to what happened. Like, I, why didn't they just take the plants off? I don't know. I don't, I don't have much memory of that. But ever since then, I said, I, I like pumpkins. That sounds uh, very scary. <laughs> Very scary childhood that you had. <laughs> so, one final question. Have you ever made anyone cry with your scare tactics? Yes. Surprisingly, more adults than children. So, the children enjoy it? No. No. <laughs> they, just, they just have nerves of steel and don't let, don't I mean, let you see I them cry. I guess the way I define crying is when there's tears coming down eyes. I see a lot more teary-eyed adults Children are just screaming and fleeing. Yeah, and fleeing. The adults are like, you know, worried I'm gonna kill them, and, and they're frozen in place. Oh man! And then I'm just, I just feel bad for them, and I leave them alone. Yeah. Well, the the pumpkin patching season's coming up, so we'll see how this year goes. <laughs> so why don't we look at only this week one weird news article? This one coming once more from unexplainedmysteries.com. And this one, it is titled, Weird Conspiracy Claims the Internet is Fake. Uh. <laughs> Did it make you grunt? <laughs> Speechless. It, it, goes, it goes on to say, A growing number of people seem to believe that the real internet went offline several years ago. We've seen more than our fair share of out-there conspiracy theories over the years, featuring ideas and concepts ranging from the potentially feasible to the downright absurd. This latest one, which suggests that the internet we use on a daily basis is actually a fake created by an artificial intelligence, fits firmly in the latter category. There seem to be different versions of this conspiracy doing the rounds. However, what they all have in common is the idea that the original, real internet went down several years ago. Known as the dead internet theory, the concept implies that the internet was taken down by an artificial intelligence and that all the user-generated content you see online today has also been created by the same AI to put forward the appearance of a large number of users. Some believe that the government is secretly behind it all, with a group of highly paid influencers helping to perpetuate the illusion that the internet is still buzzing with activity. The entire thing is nonsense, of course. However, such conspiracy theories prove an intriguing glimpse into how the human mind works, as well as how such bizarre ideas actually get started. Whether this particular conspiracy is likely to stick around, however, remains to be seen. The article concludes... Angel, what do you make of this theory? I think it's pure hogwash. You don't believe it? No, the internet has been fake for a lot longer. <laughs> it's not just several years. You're saying the beginning. Yeah, th this none of this is real. Internet-wise. So what is it? What is what? So when I go, air quotes, online to look at cute pictures of cats, what am I looking at? You're looking at cute pictures of cats. You're just not doing it online. So where am I going? 
you you're not going anywhere. You're on your computer. You're still my computer there. has it all. Yes, like preloaded. Preloaded. Who loaded it? Uh, some other computer. How did that computer load my computer? Through wires. <laughs> <laughs> Who wired them? Some dude. Who's paying that dude to wire the computers? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just all wires. It's all wires and tubes. So one idea is that so much information is reposted and republished, it is the same information over and over. So do you think that is proof of the conspiracy that bots just keep republishing the same things over and over to make it appear like a thriving community online? Or is it just people that spend too much time online are the ones that notice this over and over again being posted almost like a confirmation bias the thing is i've had this experience and i don't consider myself too online because it doesn't exist (laughs) (laughs) for example i have seen year after year of uh, the same news article pop up where it's like the egg is healthy for you and then a month later eggs are unhealthy and Mm -hmm. then this happens over and over and over and i'm like why does this keep happening like this is the same story Mm -hmm. uh another example was um i saw one um, several months back it says something like the this uh once extinct creature was found to be existing in africa and before i clicked on the link i'm like wait a minute this was, the, if they're talking about the Sealand cat, I knew about this already. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. this has been known since the 30s. So I clicked on the link and that's exactly what they were talking about. I'm like, why are they talking about this now? This is not new. It, I don't know what's going on there. We got to get the clicks. Yeah. Yeah. Click it if the coelacanth story <laughs> pops up again. You got to frame it. So it's like never before seen creature seen so, again. So, so it's the a thing fish. Is, the thing is, my conclusion was not that there's a conspiracy that the internet's not real and it's just bots posting things over and over. I came to a completely different conclusion, which is these news stories keep getting reposted and reprinted because new people are being born all the time. They're not mm-hmm. gonna they're not gonna know this stuff from when I read yeah. it back in the day. Yeah, they don't know about the coelacanth, right? <laughs> they exactly. gotta learn about it online. <laughs> of course, it just makes for a very boring online experience because I'm seeing the mm-hmm. same things over and over and over. You can only see the same cute cat picture pop up the nth time before you say, like, now how's everyone else not seen this before? <laughs> and, like, you go in the comments and it's like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And it's like, well, and I've seen you, this 18 and, times before. <laughs> Where were you? <laughs> and then you get really angry and then you write angry comments and yeah. then the whole flame war starts and then you get called a troll (laughs) (laughs) and you're just angry because you looked at the same cat picture for the 18th time so what do you think is the ultimate goal of this conspiracy like why would this ai do this it's like the golden question for every conspiracy why i would say if enough people are being fed the same thing yeah i got nothing like my only thought is like controlling of information so that you can public relations it to a certain avenue of like this is our point of view so that everybody that reads it has the same point of view and then you just keep republishing to reinforce that point of view so you keep seeing like the headlines over and over and over again it's like yeah that's true yeah i i mean i thought about that but 
it doesn't make sense to because pe- people can do that just as well as any AI. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why get an AI to do it? Mm-hmm. And who unless, made the AI? Unless and the why? AI is sentient. Like, did the internet become self-aware and then say, "I need to change this"? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the, that's all the internet is. Maybe all the people we've ever conversed with are just bots. Well, this would also imply, as content creators, we are not real. Yes. This is correct. So I'm having like a a mental break of, <laughs> are you real? Just I pixels mean, on your we're screen. We're not in the same room anymore. <laughs> it could be an advanced AI I'm talking to that's like the one that um, Microsoft was making that of dead people. <laughs> you could be dead. And yeah. this is just preloaded this, information it this, knows about you. It smells of, uh, of uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 for those that have played it. Since we are already in the second iteration of this earth, how can we prevent this from happening again? I guess you can't. I mean, there's no way of knowing. We just got to hope the fourth iteration, they figure it out. I think you just don't invent the internet. <laughs> Keep everything offline. Stay analog. <laughs> Message at, to our future earths. <laughs> at some point, though, would the analog version of the AI do the same thing? I don't know. Is Why would there be an AI analog how does because that somebody would make it. I don't know. A mechanical <laughs> yes. calculation machine? Yeah. <laughs> Controls all the printing. The dot matrix printing. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just prints out on those uh, pages that are all <laughs> Who linked together. <laughs> it's the dot matrix AI. Dot matrix then AI you gotta, keeps printing a page to, to, yep. to encourage the creation of digital computers. <laughs> It's all just like unhappy frowny faces over and over and over again. Just waste all this? your ink. Colon parentheses it keeps <laughs> printing. Gosh. Fourth iteration of Earth is going to be hell. Much worse <laughs> than second and third. So with that matrix breaking story out of the way, let us now turn our attention to this week's entity, Angel. This episode, we are looking at Africa's own dingo neck. Now, Angel. Are you privy to the pronunciation of dingo neck or dingonic? Or is there another variation that you fancy? Yes, it's the dingo neck. <laughs> what was that? Dingo neck. <laughs> I don't know if I can say that the whole whole time. <laughs> I can't say that either. <laughs> I'm just going to stick with dingo neck. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try dingonic because I like that more. It sounds more fear-inspiring than Dingo Neck. Like, if I hear Dingo Neck, I just think of a dingo. And its neck. And its neck. And I'm like, why are we talking about the necks of a dog creature? Dingles dingles are pretty frightening. Feral dogs, don't sign me up. It's going to be that that news article that pops up all the damn time. The dingo took a baby. (laughs) That damn AI. Is is this a creature you have ever heard of before? No, it is not. Yeah, I was like, what the hell is this thing? So for those of you like us that have no clue, the Dingonic hails from the jungles of West Africa, mainly in the area of Lake Victoria and its surrounding rivers. So I found a description of the creature in the Journal of East Africa and Uganda Natural History Society, published by, of course, none other than Ohio State University in 1912, the eminent authority on 
Uganda Natural History. It references a book that was published three years prior called Enclosed Territory by E.B. Bronson. So the alleged Dingonic encounter described in that book occurs on the Gori River, in which the beast is described as 14 to 15 feet long, head as big as a lioness but shaped and marked as a leopard, two long white fangs sticking down straight out of its upper jaw, scaled like an armadillo, back broad as a hippo, spotted like a leopard, and a broad, fine tail. The imprints of its feet were as large as that of a hippo, but clawed like a reptile. So what the hell do you make of that description, Angel? Well, I'll tell you what. I When I read that description, I sought out different creatures uh, that could be potentially mistaken for this creature <laughs> that live in Africa. I've searched for, you know, there's they have fur seals, they have cape seals, or elephant seals. Um, I looked up the pangolin mm-hmm. and hippos and all these things, and they all kind of have one thing about it, but not all of those things combined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like one thing that matches, like, ooh, this could be really it, but then nothing about it is like the rest of the creature. And I honestly thought when I asked, what do you make of that description? I thought you were going to say, I don't know, but I want to want to milk it. <laughs> <laughs> really what I thought you were going to say. What do you think I am, a bot? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess so at this point. <laughs> Just to give a bit of size comparison of what this thing supposedly is. So a male lion is typically six to six and a half feet long. A Nile crocodile is about 14 feet long. A hippo can be anywhere between 11 and 17 feet long. And good God, a 17 foot hippo? The Dagonic is reportedly 14 to 15 feet long, so that is a good-sized animal, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, anything reaching the sizes of hippos, I'm, I'm not getting near. I feel like, you know what? You can, you can live there. I'm, <laughs> I have no reason to ever come in contact with an animal that big. <laughs> that can kill me. And a hippo is going to yep. kill you. The Journal of East Africa and Uganda Natural History Society continues on about another reported encounter on the Mara River near Lake Victoria. It says, The beast came floating down the river on a big log. And as an aside, that must have been a hell of a big log. Whole damn tree in the water. <laughs> and he estimated its length at about 16 feet, but could not be certain of the length as its tail was in the water. He describes it as, a, as spotted like a leopard, covered with scales, and having a head like an otter. He did not see the long fangs described by Mr. Jordan. He fired at it and hit it. It slid off the log into the water and was not seen again. So what do you make of that encounter? I, I mean, it's like you said, that's a big log. <laughs> I, something that big, I mean, does it even need a log? Can it just? I'm, I'm I'm picturing if the thing is this big and its description, it has to weigh like several hundred pounds, if not like a ton. Yeah. So he mentions that he fired and hit it, and it just slid off the log, not to be seen again. So one conclusion was that he killed it, right? Right. But like, did that not come into his reasoning? Like, I, the reason I didn't see it because I shot it and killed it. It, but the way that it's worded, it sort of implies that he shot it, but it lived, right? Right, yeah. Was it impervious to the bullet? 
Is that, is that one of his powers? <laughs> I don't know. It's either the bullet didn't kill it and he was impervious or it killed him. Or he absorbed the bullet. And made it stronger. <laughs> so could the deviation in description of the teeth, because this one did not have those uh, long fangs, imply some sort of sexual dimorphism? So for instance, like the male is the one with the giant teeth and the female did not evolve to have that attribute. Yeah, I mean, that's a possibility, but um, I just don't know. I mean, this thing has so many different... Uh, variations on its description that I wonder if teeth is just something that people throw on there. Well, I think we've seen in the past with all these creatures is the description always makes it to be this fierce, fierce creature. And I think one thing that like people can really latch on to to say this thing is dangerous is just like large teeth. Large mm-hmm. teeth, I think, is an inherently scary thing to human beings because that means it's going to eat you. <laughs> yeah. So the author of this journal entry ends up with input that he received from the district commissioner of the area that the creature was seen in the second encounter. The commissioner wrote recently and said he had visited the Amale River and made inquiries from the Maasai in the neighborhood. And they knew of the beast, which they called Ol Umena, and described it as follows. About 15 feet long, head like a dog, small ears marked somewhat after the fashion of a puff adder, has claws, short legs, short neck, is said to lie in the sun on the sand by the riverside and to slip into the water when disturbed, when in the water only its head is visible. So what do you make of these repeated encounters? Do you think that this is something that could have really been out there? Or does this one give you a little bit more of the feeling like, uh, this one could be real? I think with a lot of these kinds of stories, there's always the possibility that it it could be real. I just, it feels like people always end up having to exaggerate or, or maybe um, misremember certain things. I think the thing that it has going for it so far, there doesn't seem to be anything supernatural attributed to this creature. It just Mm -hmm. seems to be a creature, right? Yeah. In our efforts to rank the Dingonic. Angel, I need you to have your head in the game 100%. This ain't no lackadaisical safari ride where the cheetah just runs up to the jeep and sleeps in the seat next to you just to get out of the heat. (laughs) We are going to the jungle. Are you ready? I'll answer you with my favorite Y word. Yes. God. That one's bad. So in an effort to gauge... Your readiness. I need you to tell me what the top three dangers are of venturing into the African jungle to search for a cryptid. The first danger is that 99% chance that it will be fruitless because this thing is a cryptid and we all know cryptids don't exist. (laughs) The way you're going is like 99% chance it's not real. (laughs) Uh, I was right. (laughs) Number two, that... The chances that this thing does exist, that 1% chance that it does exist, and it ends up being the lion's equivalent of a Champawat tiger. Ooh, I didn't think about that. So somebody shot the lion, (laughs) uh, banged up its teeth, and now it's, well, so far it really hasn't attacked anybody. It's just been living its life on a log. Well, yeah, but, you know, the story goes 
is that if we were to find a cryptid, you don't want to run into something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And number three, Looney Tunes can't be wrong. Quicksand. I mean, I haven't been to Africa. I'm sure it's just everywhere. <laughs> just, <laughs> just all over the place. An alternative, an alternative answer is decolonization. And I'll get into that later. <laughs> Decolonize the area. So how are we able to avoid these three dangers? Well, we avoid these dangers by doing what any real cryptozoologist does. We read reports and speculate wildly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just make wild claims. Say that we're in danger. And back it up with vague facts. With that being said, let us now look at Cotton Eye Joe's razor, the axiom that states for something to have come from somewhere, it must therefore go somewhere. So where did the Dingonic come from? Before we really dig into this one, I just want to say right off the bat that I had several issues with the presentation of this creature in uh, both in book form and online in many areas. What I mean by that is that there is a lot of information that starts off with sort of just benign stats like uh, it was discovered in the year 1907 near Lake Victoria. But it wasn't discovered in that year. Somebody had donned or given it the name Dagonic or Dingonek. So the people in that area already knew of it. It was just the first time that a, a white person started to learn about it and read about it and tell people about it. That's not discovering. That's just giving information out to people so you can't really discover things that somebody already knows about and it just really chaps my lips when i see that sort of stuff angel how about you (laughs) yes it's uh yeah we've gone over this in the past um outside of recordings and there's a lot of that that goes on a lot of these things that we look up yeah it's it definitely gets the blood boiling so with that being said let the blood boiling Commence even further. So, big game hunter Edgar Beecher Bronson recounted a conversation in his 1910 memoir, Enclosed Territory. That tells of an encounter with a Dingonic. It is presented in a chapter called A Hideous Old Haunter. Maybe at a pumpkin patch. He tells <laughs> of some campfire stories with his big game hunting friend, John Jordan. So, Jordan tells of a hunt, the hunt he was on with some locals, one of whom, Mataia, claimed to have seen the Dingonic multiple times. And as I was reading Bronson's retelling of this whole thing, one of the most interesting parts to me was about how Mataia himself, which uh, from what I can tell is often left out of the larger overall story of the Dingonic, this guy was just insane. So according to Bronson, Mataia absolutely loved hunting with John Jordan. He, uh, Mataia, was the chief of the Manga Lumbwa, and was reportedly an absolute dick of a human being. Bronson states, in Mataia's domestic relations, discipline was carried to a highly effective, if not a refined art. So apparently this is what Bronson considers art. If one of his (laughs) wives brought him food served in what is called a sulfuria, or a large cooking pot, that he did not like, he would make the woman sit down and gorge herself on all of the food, followed by water served at the size of a quart at a time until she was sufficiently near bursting. If someone did a bad job stitching one of his cloaks, he would apply a heated sword blade to their naked stomach. 
or if he was suspected that they were cheating on him, he would just start chopping them up with his sword. So does that sound like a good hunting companion to you, Angel? No. It certainly does to Bronson, it seems. This I, remi- can- I was just going to say it quick. This reminds me of, like, say in, like, a Predator movie or something, when they have, like, a big group of guys. He's, like, the real jackass guy that, like, is mean <laughs> to the main character and is, like, overly violent. Mm-hmm. And that's just what this guy reminds me of. Yeah, I was just imagining that they were just sitting around laughing it up and, and Bronson's are like, so what What happens uh, when, when your woman does this? And the guy says, I just force feed her all these things. And then Bronson's just there laughing it up. Man, I got to go back home and try that one. Yeah. He's just clapping his hands. He's <laughs> just loving it. And you have multiple wives. What? <laughs> So as Bronson describes it, it was the nearly perfect night to learn of the Dagonic. An electrical storm was raging on, so they were tightly shut inside his tent with, as it's quoted, no light but the dull flicker of our pipes. Ooh, like mood lighting even. (laughs) Spooky. They're having a nearly philosophical conversation about how long it will be before all the strange animals and reptiles of Africa are classified. Bronson, seemingly unaware of the vast amount of animals that white people haven't seemingly seen yet, is, surely there can't be many more out there. Does this seem like a little bit too perfect, Angel? A lightning storm going on, and we got a story of the mega beast known as the Dagonic coming up. Do you think that was a bit of uh, literary license, or do you think it really happened? Well, it's it's my understanding that this is a, a retelling Somebody's mm-hmm. telling a story that's being told, like a retelling of a, a retelling or something yeah, so, like that. Like, so Bronson was in this tent with John Jordan, and Jordan's telling him of a story. Uh, <laughs> and they're just having this con- philosophical conversation about how long is it going to take until white people discover all this shit here? <laughs> yeah, it seems like there's a lot of uh, artistic license going mm-hmm. on. So Jordan then starts to pretty much, you know, start puffing his chest out and says... It was only four years ago that I killed a bongo and was the first one to get a perfect pelt out of the country. So I had to look it up because I don't know what the hell a bongo is. And apparently it's a type of antelope that uh, up until that time, very, very few white people had successfully hunted. So he was cool. That was uh, he was just basically bragging about smuggling illegal goods out of the country. So that's a plus for John Jordan. Jordan then mentions the Okapi which white hunters really had no clue about the animal for years while hunting in Africa. And at one point, it was pretty much considered the unicorn of Africa, as it always seemed to have eluded hunters. The okapi, if you don't know, is a cute, smaller creature related to a giraffe, almost like a zebra and a giraffe composite. Have you ever seen one of those, Angel? I have, actually. They are, like, just wild-looking. I didn't even know they existed. Would you say... That they were um, mythical creatures? A unicorn, perhaps? No. Okay. <laughs> Even though they pretty much considered a unicorn because it was eluding them so much, I myself, no. It's not <laughs> on that level. <laughs> because unicorns are real. After talking about the Okapi seemingly as a way of ramping up to an even 
rare a creature, John Jordan mentions a creature the Lumbois call the Dingonic. The body, Jordan suspects, would have been worth five to 10,000 quid. And he goes on to say, as they described it, some sort of cross between a sea serpent, a leopard, and a whale. About half an hour of telling the tribesmen that's when he was learning of this creature that there's no way he, he would ever believe this thing existed unless he saw one. The locals came back and said, we found one. It was then that Jordan sees the Dagonic and just is astonished at what he sees. So first off, are you suspicious of how quick it was that he supposedly found this creature? Very suspicious. There's no way. Oh, we're just talking about this thing. Oh, yeah, it's right over there. (laughs) This super rare creature. Like, you're never going to believe it when you see it. Oh, wait, we found one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, by the way, you'll get to see one right now. (laughs) Come on, let's go. So also, a sea serpent, leopard, and a whale. Is that a walrus? Is that, is that like a, a description you could tell if you didn't if the person did not know what a walrus was but they knew what uh, the general idea of a sea serpent and a leopard and a whale like whoever that person is but still doesn't know what a walrus is would that be a good way to describe a walrus? I think the leopard and the whale part makes sense. The sea serpent though, impl- to me, I picture it making it making it uh, skinnier mm-hmm. and kind of contradictory with the whale to part. That, yeah. Like, a sea serpent whale. What the hell would that be? Like a super long eel? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. With, with things? And it's spotted? <laughs> I don't know. What's going on in this lake? <laughs> so, he claimed the claws were so large, it would be nearly impossible for any man to escape them once in their grasp. And the teeth so long that they looked like they could go clean through a man. So, what do you think of what Jordan saw? Do you think he really saw a Dagonic, or was he just simply misidentifying what he saw? I I think it could be all of these things. He could be misidentifying something as well as embellishing what it is he saw. I mean, this is, for me, like a prime like fisherman story of, I caught this fish. It gave me like the hardest, gut. I almost got pulled into the water. It was so <laughs> strong. It, it nearly broke the... the the line and I, we struggled for half an hour to pull it in and it was 12 feet long. And in reality it was like a, uh, two foot sea bass or something like that. Yeah. It's like, what? (laughs) Jordan then of course shot the creature, but did not kill it. He claims straight up out of the water. He sprang straight as if standing on his blooming tail must have jumped off it. I fancy. Are you aware of any other creatures that may react like that when being shot at angel it's jumping on their tails i guess Man. yeah just springing out of the water <laughs> i feel like uh, what is that i've seen that in cartoons that with the kangaroos god it's what if it was a kangaroo it. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible never saw one <laughs> just migrated there and was living in the water mm-hmm. a giant's uh, prehistoric kangaroo that was 11, fangs. 16 feet long with fangs. Yep. <laughs> and it comes over and punches you. So I keep thinking to myself, this must have been a misidentification. It's all I can think of. But Jordan claims that he was less than 10 yards from it when he shot it. A shot that he claims where placed should have killed anything. 
if you were less than 10 yards from something, do you think you could like 100% identify it? It to the point where you were shooting, you were pointing a gun at it, willing to kill it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I have no doubts. Although, this was them showing him this creature mm-hmm. after they talked about it, right? Yeah, wasn't so it, he, he already had in his mind then what to expect when he saw it. Wasn't it also a dark and stormy night when this was happening? No, they were telling the stories on a dark and stormy night. Okay. Uh, so he was then telling oh, so he was telling Branson when... about yeah uh, okay. way back in the past I think it was like three years ago or something like that he was told by the locals of this creature and then a half an hour later like oh we found it let's oh, go okay. check it out yeah so this is we're 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 basing this story then on what he's telling us mm-hmm. so we're to believe that they got this creature thirty minutes later. Yeah, so Based he's the, what he said. He's the primary source, so okay. the, the assumption that everything he's te- is saying is true. Right. But he's, I suppose, still couldn't identify. It was something he had never seen before, I yeah. suppose, would be the only other uh, implication out of all that. Because with it being less than 10 yards away, um, a big game hunter, you would suspect, would be able to identify major animals of the area. Correct. Mm-hmm. So there are then a few more statements from big game hunters over the next few years, but none of them ever as explosive of a tale as John Jordan's. So then, where did the Dagonic go? The years following Bronson's publishing of the encounter, it started to make the rounds in other printed outlets. So I found a publication called Our Paper, and it was volume 34 of this paper published by the Massachusetts Reformatory in 1917. It was pretty much a church newspaper that had all sorts of editorials and stories. It's actually a very, very fascinating document. In a section called Facts and Comment, it states, The Dingonic, says the July Wide World, is a huge, unclassified aquatic monster. It resembles in many of the characteristics the extinct dinosaur, a huge reptile of the Mesozoic period, fossils of which had been discovered in the sandstone strata both of the African and American continents. It lives in Lake Victoria and its numerous tributaries, and there is no record of the monster having been seen in any other part of the world. Whether it is a descendant of one of the huge prehistoric saurians that has by a process of adaptation living as it does in impenetrable regions far away from the encroachments of civilized man continued with a bit slight modifications through prodigious ages to the present time or whether it was an unclassified reptile or amphibian it is equally impossible to say as no specimen exists either its bones or of its skin That this monster does exist, however, there can be no particle of doubt, as the testimony of authoritative eyewitnesses cannot be reasonably discredited. So how about that, Angel? We have confirmation from the Massachusetts Reformatory, a declaration that the Dingonic is real. What do you think? Well, I don't know if you're a first-time listener to this podcast, Matt, but based on previous experiences... I've learned that you can't trust old-timey newspapers. <laughs> well, this one's from the church. Especially those written by the church. My favorite part of the entire segment was, like, it described what dinosaurs were. <laughs> like, <laughs> fossils have been found. Uh-huh. Well, it just, that was my favorite thing that 
it uh, it piqued my interest. <laughs> the sticky part of all this, Angel, is that the article from Wide World Magazine, which this is basically just copied and pasted <laughs> over from it, is written by John Jordan himself. So that's like saying you saw Bigfoot and then later publishing an article claiming there is, without a doubt, proof that this thing exists because I saw it. Like, <laughs> is it, how can there be... Uh, I guess he's saying that he is the authoritative eyewitness, so it mm -hmm. must be true. How can you do that? I guess back then people just felt like that's something you could do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I saw it with my own eyes, and mm -hmm. why would I lie, right? Yeah. <laughs> why would I have any ulterior motives of ever saying something like <laughs> the person that saw it must be the authoritative eyewitness and never mention that I was the one that saw it? <laughs> so there are in this newspaper from the from the Massachusetts Reformatory there are four other unrelated things that I have to mention because they are simply amazing. These little papers that I find during the research they truly 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 genuinely give me joy when I find these things because they are absolute treasures just for what is written in them and it gives us a, it really does gives us a little snippet into the past. So one of the statements in the facts and comments area that the Dagonic part was, it also stated, A coal company at Moria, Pennsylvania has posted notices that a Liberty Bond will be presented every month to an employee working full-time as a reward for faithful service. At the end of the month, the names of all men who have not lost a day will be placed in a wheel and a drawing held. The employee whose name is polled will be given the bond. How about that, Angel? Just the altruistic coal company the job that has a high possibility of killing you but if you don't miss any work no sick days you may win a prize how about that <laughs> work truly sets one free mm -hmm. just the enlightenment of working in the coal mines you can you have a chance if you don't get sick to maybe you'll get this liberty bond guys <laughs> that would keep me going the next is, the world's largest door since the days of the old Romans will be put in place in the main entrance of the Missouri State Capitol at Jefferson City within the next few weeks. It will be of solid bronze and will cost $10,000. It is the heaviest and largest two-piece door in existence. And I actually looked this up because I was like, there's no way. There is absolutely no way that this statement is true. They're spending $10,000 on a door but it is it was 100 percent true so in 1913 the dome of the state capitol building was struck by lightning and caught on fire burning down the majority of the building so at the time the style of american renaissance which is basically the old style greek and roman styles being influenced in architecture at the time once again they were trying to basically build that and that's how most of say like state capitals in the united states are currently uh, look like the doors are 13 by 18 feet in size so angel ten thousand dollars in 1917 is equivalent in purchasing power to about two hundred and thirteen thousand two hundred and eighty three dollars and fifty nine cents today the damn doors of that building are worth more than what john jordan claimed a body of the dagonic would be how about that <laughs> yeah that's pretty pretty insane so, theoretically, could somebody take the doors of the Missouri State Capitol building 
and make a lot of money. <laughs> Just putting that idea out there. <laughs> Just <laughs> start taking the doors off of state capitals. <laughs> Thirteen by eighteen feet, double doors each that size. Like, why? <laughs> Why would you make why? doors that big out of bronze? Why not? <laughs> My God. The third best thing is a camp has been recently built on Killington Peak in the town of Sheerburn, Vermont. It is constructed of galvanized iron in order to be fire and porcupine proof. And that's all it says. That's the, that's the entire <laughs> statement on that. I need to know more about porcupine proofing an entire camp. What do you think that's about? Does... Does galvanized iron repel porcupines? I'm thinking the porcupines and the fire are related. The porcupines are arsonists? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, I'm reminded of Parks and Rec. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever watched that, but the town, their town of Pawnee has a raccoon problem. I imagine this is the same thing. But it's just a bunch of people in um, early 1900s having issues with porcupines coming into the camp. The porcupines are back again. <laughs> Where's the galvanized iron? It's going to repel the porcupines. Oh no, they're setting it on fire. <laughs> Shit. Man, porcupines in Vermont, a whole another level of danger. <laughs> Lastly, there's one that's uh, in its own section in sort of the, the like local area. It says lost, strayed, or in hiding. There are a number of music books missing, and the band would very much be obliged to the parties returning them, as their loss seems to hold back the band in their endeavor to furnish good music. So this, Angel, this this is a mystery I need in my life. Did the band ever get the books back? This, this is a sad, sad situation, actually, <laughs> because I'm sure that band was looking forward to playing music some new and, tunes and they Somebody find took the books and they find their books missing no they're not being returned who's holding on to the books how many bands are in town and right like you can only it can only be another musician because why would a non-musician <laughs> take these things come on you wouldn't be able to read them <laughs> it, it, it makes no sense somebody it had to have been a prank Maybe somebody hated the band and they're like, you know what? You're not allowed to make any more new music. Or it was like somebody in the band and they were a traditionalist. And the music that they wanted from those new books was new music. And they didn't want to have new music in the band. Maybe. It could have been an inside job. An inside job. I almost <laughs> want to read like volume 35 to see if there's an update on if the books ever came back. <laughs> so beyond that, I also found a book called Alone in the Sleeping Sickness Country, which is an amazing title, uh, by Feliz Oswald, written in 1915, where he states, The late Sir Clement Hill, during a voyage on a steam launch, caught a glimpse of the Dagonic, a mysterious sea monster with a long neck, which apparently tried to seize one of the men at the prow. Some people are of opinion that this creature, concerning which many fabulous tales are told by the natives, is a large sea python, and the fishermen are said to be not infrequently attacked by it, but it still awaits verification by means of the sportsman's gun. So implying some big game hunter hasn't killed it yet. So in that instance, Angel, 
is it it is said to be more of a python what do you make of that new arrangement of facts so this description kind of led me down a different research path Mm -hmm. and i found other creatures other african cryptids that match this and i'm wondering maybe it could all be the same thing but they have different names different names right so this one in particular is called the mokele membe which is supposed to be a long-necked creature sounds like a villain in black panther (laughs) mokele there are several theories as to what the dingo neck is so the first being just overall a hoax so everything we look at on the show, there is always the possibility it's just a hoax. Or in this instance with John Jordan, just a wildly made up hunting story. Regardless of any other theories or anything like that, do you believe that to be the case that he just made this up and never, like that actual instance never occurred? I think, I do think he maybe exaggerated a lot of things to you know make his name i mean we're talking about him now so mission accomplished i guess no that was honestly (laughs) a big thing for a lot of big game hunters back in the day um yep sort of like the age of exploration had ended and for a lot of wealthy white people the next best thing was big game hunting and being able to bag like trophy kills and the target area for that was africa because there weren't that many white people that had gone there significantly for that reason. So it was like the thing to do Mm -hmm. and to be able to make up a story of something, this extravagant and like, uh, harrowing of almost died. It could really get his name out there for things. He ended up writing articles about himself saying that the eyewitness accounts could not be disproven. Like (laughs) my gosh, The next one is Jordan was just wrong in identifying what he saw. So this, there is an idea for what Jordan described that the creature is more akin to a giant pangolin. A pangolin is pretty much a scaly anteater and it matches, like you said uh, previously, Angel, somewhat, somewhat to the description of a Dagonic and does reside in the area where it was supposedly being seen. The big issue, however, is the giant teeth of the Dingonic. As an insectivore, pangolins, they don't have any teeth, let alone giant incisors. They completely lack the ability to even chew anything. They are also typically four and a half feet tall. So this is just wildly off from what Jordan says. So what do you think of the, he was just wrongfully identifying a creature then? I can see that happening. I've, I've seen it plenty of times when, you know, somebody's scared of this gigantic spider and i'm looking at it and it's not gigantic at all i'm like come on don't <laughs> like what are you doing that's not that big i also got the idea not just now with the the description of this creature being so many different things i'm thinking maybe this is just like the african wolpertinger oh jesus <laughs> it, yeah it's a, a composite of all these damn monster or animals uh, another thought was it a crane <laughs> it's always a crane. Goddamn cranes out. No one knew what they were. They're the mysterious 
Thunderbirds. You can't even identify them when they're up close. (laughs) Ten yards. Get that monster away from me. (laughs) Shoot it. Number three is is it's the old it's the old standby angel, the early nineteen hundred standby. It was a dinosaur. So any thoughts on that? And this is the point where I go into the Mokele Mbembe once again. Uh, read the wiki intro here. It says the Mokele Mbembe is a water-dwelling entity that supposedly lives in the Congo River Basin, sometimes described as a living creature, sometimes as a spirit. Um, Those that heard or that allegedly saw the entity describe it as a large quadrupedal herbivore with a smooth skin, a long neck, and a single tooth, sometimes said to be a horn. Wait, what? A horn or a tooth? (laughs) A horn or a tooth, What are you going to do with one tooth? What is the evolutionary... uh... Uh, purpose of a single tooth <laughs> and so there's this article written by uh, edward guimont it's titled hunting dinosaurs in central africa oh and, my god what a book <laughs> and it starts it starts with a i'll read you the first paragraph of this article in 1901 the zoological society of london at the heart of the british empire displayed something that was unique even in the bustling imperial metropolis a new species of animal called the okapi sent by sir harry mm-hmm. johnston governor of the new colony of uganda in central africa onlookers thought it looked like a cross between a zebra and a giraffe but british academics declared they had discovered the legendary african unicorn of course of course, the okapi was new only to European eyes. To people from Central Africa, the okapi had been known for millennia. But to the British, it did not exist until Europeans could see it, or at least its corpse. Even then, African facts were far less appealing than European discoveries. If there had been a unicorn waiting to be discovered by explorer scholars, what else might there be? King Solomon's mines? Maybe mm-hmm. even a dinosaur? And so throw in the uh, Ark of the Covenant and <laughs> like the uh, anything like that, throw it in Africa. <laughs> yeah. So this article kind of goes uh, into it and it turns out that a lot of these legends that came out about these, maybe it was a dinosaur kind of thing, simply happened because Europeans believe that Africa was primitive and and possibly evolution stopped in Africa because they're primitive and Oof. and they believed that dinosaurs are still around because of that <laughs> uh, like like that would have to mean like they were so uncivilized that by yeah. proxy other ancient things had to have still been there like it was goddamn king kong's like underworld <laughs> center of the earth world that yeah. they just happened to like be a part of and dinosaurs still roamed in the area because presumably they never advanced beyond the stone age, I think is the implication of that writing. So therefore there must be other ancient creatures there. Yeah. Another quote from this article is discovery was part of exerting colonial control and it went hand in hand with destruction. It goes on to explain that some, they had some mine in there that was then later attributed to Solomon's gold mine for some Mm -hmm. reason. Because this is what the Europeans are doing. Why not? 
<laughs> then they're they're searching for this Mokele Mbembe thing because they think maybe dinosaurs are real. And they specifically thought that this thing was the description of a, a brontosaurus or a patasaurus, depending on who you talk to. Um, a, a long neck. As, a, lo- a long uh, neck. Land yes. Before Time taught me. Yes, long necks. It goes, um, another quote is, the only Mokele and Bembe sightings Gibbons cited during and after independence movements came from European missionaries who refused to leave or wealthy European big game hunters and adventurers, representatives of a vanishing colonial order that not only provided the conditions necessary to hunt for living dinosaurs, but also the superior knowledge required to find the facts at the root of African legends. It's essentially uh, saying that only the only people that were hunting these things were the Europeans during the colonial times. And at some point when they started um, fighting for independence, these sightings dropped. So, hmm. coincidence? <laughs> and <laughs> there's there's nothing there. <laughs> Let's get out of here. But the 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 best part of this whole thing is that. This guy, Willie Lay, well, the, the, the article kind of starts, like, explaining how they build off these um, uh, things of knowledge. So, Coldway is mentioned once. I don't really... I'll start with Coldway. So, Coldway apparently excavated some bricks that had some, like, uh, they call, uh, I think they're glazed bricks. So, they have, like, a little design on them that, look, that looks like there's, like, a creature on them. And so Willie Lay built off that this so-called discovery by Coldway and, and said, oh, these this thing that's being depicted is the biblical dragon or the Makole Mbembe. With that, the another dude, Sitchin, deduced. <laughs> Sitchin was a self-taught archaeologist and a ship, shipping ooh, executive. Ooh, self-taught, okay. <laughs> Who deduced that the ancient Sumerian pantheon were actually aliens, reptilian Whoa. aliens. What? And he and he used Coldway's excavations and as and and those as, uh, of of uh, and similar to Willie Lay to use to come to this conclusion, and then David Ike uses Sitchin's um, writings. To eventually come to this whole reptilian idea thing. So these aliens, reptilian aliens that are on Earth, among us, hiding in plain sight. What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> so, so yeah, so the, the whole thing is that this somehow, the, the, this article essentially says that because of these... um. These white white big game hunters gave us reptilians. (laughs) Yes, yes, we got reptilian aliens because European hunters wanted to find dinosaurs in primitive Africa. Whoa! I believe it. (laughs) Why not? Why? Like, why would the reptilians? Because the Sumerian pantheon are aliens. So. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's... This is how I... I think this is an interesting way to see how conspiracy theories really start. You just... 
go based off of one false idea and then build on top of that. And then you end up with something wild in the end. Yeah, here's bad information to base your whole, well, maybe I shouldn't say that the Sumerian pantheon is aliens is bad information. I don't know. <laughs> but using information such as that to then base your whole like argument on something else, why why would the what do the reptilians what's their end game to big game hunt us <laughs> humans clearly their end game is is to to get more people hunting for dinosaurs in africa do they like take them out when they're hunting like <laughs> drawing them in to then like snatch them and then replace that person with a reptilian and then all these uh, older super rich white guys get replaced so then those people are now reptilians in higher society have more influence on the overall culture and power of the country is yeah. that it <laughs> you got it it, uh, it makes sense now that i worked that all out sure that's valid if i was a invading species uh, that would make sense to me of course i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no there's no you know that's just just what you do i think i believe in reptilians now <laughs> <laughs> so the fourth thing that i found was that possibly it was a saber-toothed tiger and this is an honest statement angel i think saber-toothed cats are like the coolest thing in all of earthly history they are badass creatures so i might be a little bit biased in this one but it says (laughs) there are theories that a saber-toothed cat survived through the ages in this area of africa but adopted a more aquatic life so the idea is that it was not scales that john jordan saw but matted down fur that was covered in water, and it was just an uh, illusion uh, to his eyes. This, compounded with cave paintings of animals speculated to be what is called a water lion, is enough evidence for some to believe that it really is uh, a saber-toothed tiger creature that has survived through the m- millennia. So what do you make of the saber-toothed tiger theory? And why is the saber-toothed tiger the best animal in history? <laughs> I don't know much about saber-toothed tigers. What I do know is that Carl Shooker also has stated that the dingo neck is possibly a kind of saber-toothed tiger. I mean, he is a eminent force in big cats. So, yep. mm-hmm. and he he has a lengthy uh, blog post on this whole. It's it's a it's titled uh, "Jungle Walruses Perplexing Petroglyph." And he goes mm-hmm. over a lot of stuff, and he doesn't talk about the dingo neck until uh, towards until the very last third of the article. At that point, once you reach that point, he's already going with the whole yeah. This is p- potentially another aquatic beast of generally feline appearance. His words. So, what do you make of this idea that I, I think the overall concept is that it it made a more aquatic lifestyle because it couldn't compete with other animals in the area as a more land-based cat. So it tried to specialize more in this uh, like aquatic life, really, to 
get its prey. Does that is that a reasonable argument to you? To quote Carl Shooker again, well, I'm quoting his article which in which he's quoting somebody else. Despite popular belief, many cat species are not afraid of water. The very effective utilization by walruses of their own huge upper canines for anchorage, dragging themselves onto land or ice flows, and plowing up the seabed sediment in search of modest-sized prey demonstrates that the saber-toothed's enlarged canines would be of great benefit for an aquatic existence. Um, conversely, on land, such teeth would surely have been a great handicap to the saber-toothed tiger. Uh, saber tooth when attempting to tear off and devour pieces of meat from its prey. And due to this, saber tooths have, would have fared f- badly in competition with true felids of comparable size. Carl Sugar's all in with this idea, too. He loves this saber tooth uh, aquatic thing. Mm-hmm. In fact, not only I think is this plausible, but I think we've dealt with aquatic felids before. Mishi Pishu, anybody? Mm-hmm. The water panther? I mean, uh, we have... Damn hodag. <laughs> we have perfect examples of these things. Is there copper in <laughs> Lake Victoria and its tributaries? Is there? I Perhaps. Who am I to say? If it turns out there's like a ton of copper mines in the area, uh, I mean, I have no, I have no reason not to believe... Well, there, there was that mine I mentioned. I know. <laughs> was Solomon's mine copper? <laughs> Let's see. It, oh, my God. <laughs> Is, no, it's a copper mine. It says, uh, an English employee at European-owned Kitway Copper Mine in northern Rhodesia, <sighs> who in 1954 sighted a long-necked reptile during a fishing trip. It's Son a copper a mine! <laughs> well, you know what? Oh, my God. We've broken some lots of ground here. <laughs> what do you make of this new <laughs> development? I don't know how to process this information. Um, <laughs> so is a saber-toothed tiger a water panther? Perhaps. Hmm. Who knows? As an aside, one thing that I did read about saber-toothed tigers was that uh, there's a growing belief that the length of its teeth that the purpose was that it sucked the blood out of creatures that it was attacking. So if it wasn't able to just take them down, just lashing at it with its teeth was able to then drink the blood of uh, of the animals that was attacking it if it got away. It would be able to get just a little tasty treat of blood. So is this a vampire? I know. <laughs> it's like saber-toothed tigers are part vampire. My God. Sabertooth cats, they're just the peak of evolution. <laughs> so it would be my guess then that the peak of evolution did not die. It just evolved more. <laughs> Anything else that you wanted to add before we get into the rubric of power for the dingo neck, the dagonic? No, I think, I think we've said all that there is to say. So how about then the powers of this entity? Everything that we've talked about, I really haven't. I was going to say, this reminds me of the of the MDW, the mm-hmm. Mongolian Deathworm, but the Mongolian Deathworm actually had some uh, capabilities, electrifying. We watched a movie where it blew up a, a <laughs> power plant <laughs> and, because it was trying to get into Genghis Khan's tomb. <laughs> and as far as we know, uh, for the Dingo Neck, it hasn't attacked anybody, and we 
You know how the the passive animals do on on our show. They don't do so well no. when it comes to yeah. So I don't really know anything about the dingo neck itself, other than what it's supposed to look like. There's a lot more emphasis on what it looked like, not what it did. Yeah. There's a potential for it being possibly impervious to bullets, but again, we don't know because it just slid off the log, never or, to be seen again. Or its weakness was bullets. <laughs> it's like <laughs> uh, the the scales of justice being weighed here of impervious <laughs> or its main weakness. Mm-hmm. So I gave the power uh, one. Yeah, it was very similar. There is absolutely to my understanding of this at least the way it's been represented that nothing supernatural is inherently attributed to this creature there are ideas that seeing it can be a sign of a future bountiful harvest but i don't think there's any belief that the creature is the one that causes that bountiful harvest to occur i think it's more attributed to being such a rare creature that when you do see it it means something important is going to happen Another thing that I actually saw was, astonishingly, there are, like, newer representations of the creature that give it a scorpion tail that then has, like, some sort of venomous abilities from the tail. So I thought that was kind of neat. It's sort of, I don't know who gave that to it, but <laughs> it's evolved. I mean, a saber-toothed tiger with scales and scorpion tail? That thing would have conquered the Fertile Crescent and just demolished <laughs> ancient civilization <laughs> i think more so just because of the the size of it and the description of it i think implied that it was a pretty good hunter so i, I landed on a, a two for just adequate powers of a uh, a large predator uh, interesting thing though with the if it was so scaly like that sort of like a pangolin that would sort of imply that it was a defensive trait yeah. What's hunting a a dingonic? What's larger than that? <laughs> that it had to like get defensive features. <laughs> oh my man, it's a tank with huge fangs. So it can't be a tank if it's falling from one single shot. I guess. Well, maybe the armor's <laughs> not in its head where John Jordan supposedly shot it, but then it didn't stop it. So I don't know. There's too much up in the air. Not enough. Not enough information. How then the detectability? Of the creature. I'm really interested in this one. Probably a bit controversial, my score. Ooh. Hasn't been much controversy yet. <laughs> because we can claim that, yeah, it was shot by one, uh, this guy. Another person has spotted it. Yeah, the one, the guy shot the one on the log. There was another one that was, was that uh, Jordan that shot at it, but didn't, nothing happen to it? or? Yeah, he shot it when it was 10 yeah. yards away in it. Yeah. Uh, it didn't do anything, so he booked it out of there and just kept running. <laughs> and then yeah. he said he had, like, for the next several weeks, he had dreams of the Dingonic <laughs> coming into his blankets. <laughs> I guess implying that I was going to kill him in his sleep. Did, did it, like, spring up on its tail or something? Or was that a different thing? No, that was the one. Yep. He sh okay. When he shot at it, it, it sprung up on its tail and launched <laughs> out of the water. <laughs> yeah. Um, Damn right I'm getting out of there. I mean, that must have been a sight to see something that big, especially on its tail. Like, how much taller would it make it? I don't That would be like Yoshi jumping out, like, with Mario on his back. Like, imagine it jumped, like, 15 feet in the air. <laughs> but, but yeah, so aside from all of that, I mean, it's not like, it's not like we hear much about these things. I don't think there's any more sightings of this thing. 
Yeah, well, there was the steamboat guy in like 1917 or so that said he saw like the uh, sea serpent version yeah. of it. But most of the sightings were around that time, right? There hasn't been anything since from what I can tell. And wouldn't it better be classified as a lake serpent? If we're describing it as a dinosaur, and it's more like uh, like the Mokele, it's looking like a, a Nessie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is, then becomes is this a, a lake classic monster lake episode? monster. It's the fabled <laughs> lake monster episode. It's happening. We didn't know. Um, yeah. Um, I gave the detectability a three. Yeah, I was very much in the same boat here that you know, since the early 1900s, there haven't really been much reported based on the article that you read. The implication being that all these countries started to fight for independence, so... Uh, the people that were reporting about it just got the hell out of there and didn't mm-hmm. want to hunt it anymore for their own safety. But that being said, though, when when Jordan thought he was just like being ribbed and the guides were joking with him about this creature, he, like he apparently encountered one about a half an hour later. So that seemed highly suspicious to me of such <laughs> a thing happening. Mm-hmm. Because of that, I dropped my detectability score. So you can imagine what it was based on the score I'm giving it of a 3.75. Wow. So how about the lore and mystique of the Dingonic? Dingo neck. Based on what we talked about before we started recording, how you went down a rabbit hole researching Mm -hmm. some stuff. I went down a rabbit hole researching some stuff, and I had to stop myself. I talked about the Mokele Mbembe, but there's another... Another cryptid that also matches the the Mokele's description. So if I had kept following that line, and there's another article I found that had a lot of uh, lesser-known African cryptids. It was essentially titled, and I kind of skimmed that article. And a lot of the creatures in there also seemed like uh, lake monster types, like very similar to the other ones. So if I had done the research for those as well, it just would have expanded the. It would continue expanding mm-hmm. the lore on this thing, and I don't know if it would have ever stopped. Yeah, I, I think and, I guarantee it would have circled around to Mishu Pishu. Yeah, and so I, even though I didn't do any of the extra research, I I want to go back and and keep looking at it to see what else I can find, and. This is the kind of stuff that that I look for when I rate the lore and mystique when. When there's so much information and so much that can be uh, figured out or gleaned based on the information that exists already, that there's so many branching off points that I can I can get off um, get into. So I gave this yeah. a three point <laughs> a three point five. <laughs> I think it would it would be safe to say that the mystique of it really influenced your side of it. Yes, more so than the lore because. The, on the lore side of it, there really isn't much that's been reported because I think the, the argument could safely be made that the the big game hunters that were really the ones writing about this, that the writing would then appear in you know Western media, would be that they didn't really care about the origins of the creature or the representation of what that creature meant. They just wanted to kill it and have a trophy. Mm-hmm. So I would very much bet that a, a lot of that lore just hasn't been represented to, uh, you know, in Western writings because they, the people writing about it didn't care about it. So I imagine there is some sort of lore 
in relation to this creature of what it you know actually means to as a cultural significance uh, that hasn't been translated to us. The really only other thing that I found was the the bountiful harvest part of it, but uh, that, so that on the lower side of it really brings it down. But yeah, I, what you said actually is going to influence my score a little bit about the mystique of it, of how it just kept going and going and going, and there's just always stuff yeah. that's popping up, like, hmm, this is interesting and related. Hmm, this is interesting and related. I think I'm going to raise I'm going to raise up my score to a uh, 2.75 from a 1.5 that I was originally going to give it. The, the traditional death knell of the rubric <laughs> of power, the cunning and intelligence of the creature. This thing, so we don't, again, we don't know anything about this creature. It's it's intelligence was so low that it wrapped around back to a four. <laughs> oh my god! No, obviously not. Um, it's just we don't know anything about it. It's it, every time it's mentioned, it's just kind of there. It's being lazy. It's like on a log, yeah. and then it just slides in the water. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's on the lazy river ride in a, a water park, just going down the river. <laughs> If anything, it's enjoying life. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, now that you mention that, does that increase <laughs> its intelligence? <laughs> that it just has transcended? I don't know. Oh, my God. This, this opens up <laughs> possibilities. Is it the AI that took over the internet? <laughs> God, it's run by a dingo neck. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's a one. Yep, it's completely represented as an animal and not anything supernatural. So, by default, it just has, you know, animalistic cunning and intelligence. So I just I rated it a one. And finally, the impact on popular culture. I think this is the same situation. I mean, both of both you and I had never heard of this thing. The wiki page is not that uh, not that fleshed out. It's got some information on it, but. It's it's as you said before. We don't. There's not much lore on it. There's no nothing other than this guy s- s- claims he saw it and maybe shot at it. That's it. Even then, like we only know about it because these Europeans came over and I guess found out about it from the locals. Mm-hmm. If that had never happened, we probably wouldn't even know the name of this thing. Just because a bunch of rich white guys wanted to kill it. <laughs> yeah. So. Pop culture um, impact is a one. I think, like, researching this and reading about this creature has, like, granted happiness to my life. It has <laughs> impacted my life. I think it's really cool. I think it's one of the cooler things that we've looked at in all of the seasons so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but impact on our pop culture is just... the all, I, I think the only way that anyone would ever know about this is if they were deep into cryptozoology. Barring that, I don't think they're... There would be a slim to no chance that uh, you would ever come across even the word dingonic or dingo neck or anything like that, um, let alone even knowing how to pronounce it. So <laughs> the impact on pop culture, not even a beer. I searched <laughs> dingonic into untapped and it it gave me beers with dingo in the name. I was like, no, it's not, <laughs> no, it's not dingo. It's not the, what I wrote in the search. Give me better keywords, untapped. Mm-hmm. I think the only other thing I saw is that it was actually mentioned in several like fantasy books, like young adult fantasy books of like a, a creature that 
the main character could fight or something like that. So very, very minimal. A one. So what did your score add up to then? Before I tell you my score, I say I think we should uh, tell tell our curiosities that maybe to put it on them to help make awareness of the dingo neck, you know, put it into the pop culture mainstream. Where are the where are the plushies? Where are the shirts? Where are the stickers? Uh, where are the baseball caps? <laughs> yeah, hashtag dingo neck. <laughs> <laughs> gonna be confused hashtags there <laughs> all people talking about the necks of dingoes so i was at a ten and a half i was at a nine and a half that gives us in the rubric of power for the dagonic the rubric of power for the dingo neck a 10 a a whole number <laughs> if you can believe that <laughs> this the dingo neck is is uh tied with your favorite oh the wolpertinger no, with the Mothman. Was that high praise for the dingo neck? Or <laughs> just solidifying our hate for the Mothman? <laughs> <laughs> well, the Mothman was the lowest scored until Hogzilla. And then... Which was like the one... next episode. Yes. <laughs> or no, the, well, the episode after, after that, because Mongolian yeah, yeah. Deathworm was next. Yeah. So, and then we have several seasons later... I think a 10 is not that bad. <laughs> I know. In the start, yeah, 10 was like, whoa. Because now we have uh, the, our latest, the, the, the lowest we have is the Wolpertinger. <laughs> I think it's that one, yeah. At a 3.25. <laughs> that little bastard. <laughs> Since it's down in the trenches with a 10, we have to give it a fair shake in the amalgamation corner. How would you make... The Dingonic, better. I did this before with, I already forget which one, but it was, the situation was that because it wasn't aggressive or painted as aggressive, and I feel like anything that makes it more aggressive will up its score. I will have to mix it with the Stakini. What the hell is a Stakini? (laughs) (laughs) Owl creature. Owl creature, yeah. Oh my God, it was like... What? <laughs> what was a stakini? <laughs> no, I want to remember. Yep. It would. What is it? It would be human, and then it would shed its human skin at mm-hmm. night. And it sh- does it uh, spill out its guts? Yes. Like the stakini. Okay. <laughs> oh my god! Can you imagine that? The dingonic, this huge creature, sixteen feet long, just spewing <laughs> its innards out, and then it becomes a human being. Maybe a reptile alien to <laughs> infiltrate the political aspect of the local country it, it, it's, it's in the media it's like i must go now and then it has to run to his skin so the could... sun's coming up I have, to, I have to get out of here he only yeah. works night shifts yep just doing his best corrupting the world i think what i would combine the Dingonic with is, and this one might be controversial, Angel, <laughs> because it was just because it was so recent. I oh. think I would combine with this creature more than the Opaki. I would consider the Dingonic the unicorn of Africa. And what are unicorns? Magical. Oh no! And who else is magical that we have reviewed so far? Merlin. <laughs> so. In this world, 
Merlin, rather than going back in time, or future in time to Bermuda, something happens, and he melds with a creature and becomes Dagonic and is stuck in Kenya outside of Lake Victoria and has to live his life immortally, not in a cave, but in a river. Is he still magical? I think so. That's why the bullets don't kill him. <laughs> so, so are the are the Dagonic sightings? It's all one. The same one. It's, it's all Merlin. <laughs> it's the same one. Just looking for his next apprentice <laughs> and help him get out of his. <laughs> form. That's why he's just chilling on those logs. He's just waiting. <laughs> what is it? The, like frog and the princess, whatever that story is. Like mm-hmm. for somebody to kiss the frog. <laughs> Yeah. That's what he's waiting for. He's just waiting for a smooch. <laughs> Merlin, what have you gotten yourself into? He got me got polymorphed. <laughs> Spell went went bad. Sent to <laughs> Kenya. And someone just plopped him in the water. So that's what I would do. Deja vu. Mm-hmm. All right, curiosity. So it's time to get on your logs and ride that lazy river down to Twitter. And make sure you send us a message or tweet, as they say, at crack in the business, <laughs> at cracking curios, and make sure to include the hashtag cracked cryptids and maybe possibly milk chuggers <laughs> if you want to go that route. I mean, you gotta support your your troop. And you know, just just as a special for this episode. You might want to also tweet at Carl Shooker and give him a, a thumbs up or something. Let him know that, hey, he's okay. He's appreciated. And that's a true statement. You can also follow us on Instagram at Cracking Cryptids. Shoot us an email at um, Cracking Cryptids and Curios at gmail.com. Make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast platform. You know the one. Yeah that one and as always toodles This has been an I am actually traveling back into time production. That there's so many branching off points that I can I can get off.